Chapter 5 Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you 
that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, uh, welcome everybody, and we're into the gospel, and we're into part nine now, carrying on from what is striving through the narrow gate. This is actually part B here. Now, we've already gone through nine sessions. Can you believe that? But it's nine sessions, and I want to just quickly go over what we've been through in these last, these last nine sessions. First of all, we learned that the gospel is only addressed to God's redeemed. Remember that. Now, I'm going to be throwing out phrases here and really just summaries of what we've been through, but you have to listen to all of these in the context. So I'm not throwing this out just to be controversial. I'm throwing them out because you've got to understand that you've got to listen to these sessions in the context. So we, we learned that the gospel is only addressed to God's redeemed. We also saw that the gospel, what the gospel was actually referring to as defined by Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah? And that it was all about, right, all about his earthly coming kingdom and our potential inheritance in that kingdom. We've got to come to that great understanding. And then we learned who the lost were, didn't we? We learned that the lost are actually God's redeemed who are wandering away from the influence of being under the shepherd. Yeah, we saw that. 
And we've also seen in this series that Jesus, who Jesus Christ died for, didn't we? He's died for God's redeemed. He died for God's redeemed and he continues to live for God's redeemed today in the holies of holies, making intercession for us, right? And then we got into a session on being born from above. And we looked at that and read that. That was Jesus Christ's conversation with Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. And the whole context of what he was talking about, about being born from above, remember that? Being born from above was in relation to the resurrection. It wasn't today, it was in relation to the resurrection. Remember we went into Ezekiel 36 and 37 and we saw that so clearly. It's, and it wasn't about today. <laughs> you know, and the confusion that so many are in is that he was talking and referring to today. No, he wasn't. He was referring to the resurrection coming up in the future. But we, are, we also understand that there is spirit involved today. We're not saying there isn't spirit involved but it wasn't what Jesus Christ was referring to when he was talking about being born from above and we went into 1 Corinthians 15 and we saw that. And that immediately tells us that when he was referring to life being in the resurrection, that there is no life. Today, for the dead, the dead are dead. The dead are in the grave, asleep, as God refers to it in the scripture, awaiting that fantastic day and life in the resurrection. And we saw that in the coming earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. And then the last time we were together, we started to see what it's going to take, didn't we, to walk through this narrow gate. And it's going to take us a couple of weeks to get through this because we've got to start, and we'll start to see it today, what it's going to take, the qualities and the changes that we have to bring about in our lives to walk through that narrow gate. Yeah, we're going to see and get back into that today. Because we're starting to see, aren't we, that it's going to be few. Jesus Christ clearly said it's going to be few that are willing to make the changes, that are willing to make the changes, yeah, in their lives in terms of service to others. And that's what we're going to see again today. Do you realize that serving to the point where it's comfortable for us is not going to be enough to walk through that narrow gate? If we're within the comfort zone of what we feel we're willing to give, the likelihood is that we're not striving, we're not agonizing the way Jesus Christ asked us to do. And we're going to see that again today. So if we're in our predefined comfort zones and we're not willing to break out of these in terms of change and service to others, the likelihood is that we're not going to make it. Yeah, Because he defined the criteria and we're going to see it today. We're going to see it as we go back into Matthew, which we touched on. We touched on Matthew 7.13 last week, but we spent most of our, not last week, but the, the, the last time we were together. But we spent most of our time in Luke, but today we're going to spend more time in Matthew and start to understand the definition of being able to walk through this narrow gate, but it's a definition given by Jesus Christ. Not your definition, not my definition, not theology's definition, not the world's definition. Yeah, but his definition in the scripture and we're going to have to go back to the scripture and we're going to have to allow it to define it that is so crucial for all of us because most of the time in Christianity today it's you taking action on a verse it's you giving mental assent to Jesus and you're going to make it into the kingdom whereas the scriptures don't teach that Yeah, you may teach it I may teach it or have taught it but it's not what the scriptures are teaching. And we've got to get back to what the scriptures define, being able to walk through this narrow gate, what you and I are going to have to do, what we're going to have to do to enable us 
to walk through that narrow gate. And it's not holding your hand up in a meeting for a minute. Yeah? It's not you deciding to make one change in your life and then going back and living a life of hell. That's not going to do it. And we saw it the last time we were together, people coming up to Jesus, saying, Lord, Lord, we've heard all your teachings. We've, we've, we've done what we wanted to do. We've come our way. And he said, I don't even know you. And we're going to see it again today. Yeah? Because there's only one thing wrong with that teaching, <laughs> that type of teaching, that type of theology. It's not what the scriptures are crying out to us. It's not what the author and finisher of our faith crying out to us in the scripture. It's what the world is handing out. And we've got to assess what the world's handing out against the truth of the scripture. Yeah? Because never forget who the gatekeeper is. The gatekeeper is Jesus Christ. Isn't it? He's the one defining, he's the one making the decision as to who is going to walk into that, his coming earthly kingdom. Not your theology, not my theology, not my church doctrine. It's going to be what he has already defined in scripture. Do you understand he's already defined it? Yeah? There's no excuse. He taught in their houses, he taught in, in their streets, he told them this is the way you've got to do to make it. They didn't listen. They went their own way, decided they were going to go their own way, and they did not make it. They didn't make it. And we don't want to be in that category. Yeah? So how do we get out of that category? We go back and listen to what he said. And not only just listen to what he said, we've got to do what he said. Yeah? We've got to make these changes. We've got to strive. We've got to agonize in service and love to others if we're going to make it. You hearing this teaching is not, going to, it's not going to enable you, it's not going to be the defining factor whether you make it or not. They heard his teachings from the Lord Jesus Christ's own lips. They heard his teachings, but they didn't do it. They heard it, but they didn't take the action. You and I cannot be sitting here and listen to this and not take the action. Do you understand? Because when he returns, when he comes back and you walk up to that gate, he's going to say, who the heck are you? You didn't do what I asked you to do. You ain't getting in. <laughs> we're going to see it again in Matthew here, right? So this week we're picking it back up. Guess where we are? In front of the narrow gate. <laughs> we're in front of the narrow gate. And we saw it the last time we were together who ended up on the wrong side of the gate, didn't we? We saw it was the majority of the redeemed. Did you hear that? It was the majority, not the minority. Most of them didn't make it. According to him, it's going to be few. We're going to see that. But do you understand they were still calling him Lord? <laughs> they were shouting, Lord, Lord. And Jesus shouting over the gate, You did not do what I asked you to do. That's why you're on the wrong side of the gate. You can call me Lord all you like. <laughs> yeah? And they were. And we'll see it in the weeks to come. Not only were they shouting, Lord, Lord. We've heard your teachings. But they were saying, not only that, Jesus... In your name we've done all of this stuff. We've done signs, miracles and wonders. Why aren't you letting us in? So don't allow that to be the defining factor for any of us to follow any teaching or any theology because in the, in the mind of Christ it didn't mean anything. They threw it up in his face and we'll see it probably next week. Right? So this week we're going to see some detail about the qualities that we're going to have to live out in order to walk through this narrow gate. Yeah? 
Now look, get this really clear in your heart and mind. This involves change. For you to listen to this and to continue in the way that you are walking and continuing possibly is not going to get you and I through this narrow gate. Have you ever heard the definition of insanity? Continuing to do the same thing and expecting a different result. Yeah? Well, it's very similar in Scripture. God expects change. We're going to see it right here in Matthew, documented for us, word by word, out of the Lord Jesus Christ's own mouth. There is no excuse, guys. Yeah? For any of us, there is no excuse. But again, it's, this is, we're talking about the majority here, behind the shut gate. Yeah? Now, let's go to Matthew 7.13, because this is really the focal point. This is the focal verse for us that we're going to be focusing on today. And it's Matthew 7.13. And look at this. Enter by the narrow gate. So where's the entrance? Through the narrow gate. You understand? Now we're going to see there's an entrance also by a wide gate. But here, the entrance is by the narrow gate. And we should be asking, entrance to where? Entrance to what? What's he talking about? Yeah? This is not heaven. Do you realize when most people read this, they're thinking of heaven. This is not heaven. Jesus is going to define for us in the context, as we go through this, what this is all about. Don't superimpose your theology on top of this and think that you are going to heaven. You and I are not going to heaven. Yeah, And we're going to see where we're going. We're going to see what he's talking about, about this narrow gate and where it leads. Because that's so important for us to understand. Yeah. But do you see there's no other route? There's no other entrance. <laughs> yeah. It's not multiple. It's not because you believe in Jesus. It's not because you believe in the quote gospel that you're going to get in here. No, there's one narrow gate. Not two. One narrow gate that leads, we're going to see it, to life. Yeah. Because you and I may think there is. And do you remember the last time we were together? Those people who were shut out on the other side of the gate to the kingdom thought that they were getting in. Do you realize the majority are thinking they're getting in by some other route? Yeah? Other than striving through the agony of this narrow gate. Because yeah? they thought that it wasn't important. They thought it wasn't important to strive, to agonize, to do what our Lord said to do, to warrant getting in this narrow gate. And where did they end up? Shut out of the kingdom. So according to Jesus, who, who again, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Do you think we should listen up to what he's got to say, as opposed to your local pastor, your local preacher, your God TV uh, televangelist? This is it, guys. This is it. Coming from the, quote, horse's mouth. Yeah? It's coming from the mouth of the author and finisher of our faith. We can trust this. Yeah. You and I can put our lives on this. Yeah. Because it's true and it's accurate according to the scriptures. Yeah? And look at this. For the gate is what? Wide. So there is another gate. But it's wide gate. It's a wide gate. And the way is easy into that gate. Okay, But what does it do? It leads us to destruction. It leads us to loss. So if you want loss, if you want destruction, you walk through that wide gate 
and avoid the narrow gate. And look at this. And those who enter by it. Do you see they enter by it? Do you see they actually get through it? Mm-hmm. Are what? Many. many. They're many. They're not in the minority. So the majority are wading through that wide and easy gate that leads to loss. Yeah, we'll see it as we go on. Now, are you clear that this wide and easy gate is not leading to the kingdom? Yeah, it's leading somewhere else and we'll get into it in the weeks to come. Because we're seeing it's wide, it's easy and it leads to destruction. Look at verse 14. For the gate is what? Narrow. And the way is hard. (laughs) Not what we want to hear. Not what you want to hear, not what I want to hear, not what the majority want to hear. But remember, who's speaking here? The author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling you and I, it's going to be hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are what? Few. So if you and I find it, we're going to be in the minority. Do you see that? We're going to be in the minority. So we know it's going to be what? Hard. Don't we? Because he's defined it. He said, it's going to be hard. So if you and I are finding it easy, yeah, what does that tell you? What does that tell you and I? If we're finding it easy, we might be on the wrong course. There's a bit of a clue there for us. Because he said it's going to be hard. So we may be on the path to the wrong gate. Is that logical to you? Absolutely. Yeah. So if we turn around on the easy path and there are many on it, it's a bit of a clue. Our GPS is sending us out the wrong directions. We need to get tapped into the Lord Jesus Christ and figure out what he's talking about. Figure out here in the context leading up to Matthew 7.13, what do we have to do? What is it that he's talking about that we have to do in order to gain entrance through that narrow gate? So we have to keep reading. Sorry about that. I'm not making no apologies. But the only way we're going to understand this is if we read his definitions. We don't stop at Matthew 7.13, period, and then we all dish out the verse and say, what do you think that means? Yeah. Yeah? Because he's defined it. So why would you want to go to any other definition other than his? Because we know his is correct. Because he always told the truth. I may not always tell the truth. Your local pastor, your local theologian, your God TV guy might not be telling the truth. They might be, but they might not be. So when we go back to the scriptures, we hear and understand what he says. What it's going to take to get us through that gate, we know it's true. Because we often get into the habit of doing that, don't we? Not allowing the scripture to build up the explanation of what Jesus is talking about. Remember we looked at John 3.16. We suck that out of context. Romans 10.9 and 10. We suck these verses out of context. Remember we looked at Peter being born from again. We suck that out of its context. And we end up in error. So often we end up in error. Because we don't allow the scripture build up off around these verses to communicate to us accurately what it's actually talking about. So what is the context of, our, of Matthew 7.13? That's what we should be asking ourselves. Because it said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. 
So there's an alternative, isn't there? There's two entrances, yeah? There's one which is narrow and hard. There's one which is wide and easy. And we've got to figure out how do we stay on the track for this narrow gate. Mm -hmm. We do not want to even consider walking through that wide one. So we've got to understand there's two entrances, yeah? But guess what? There's seven other chapters, because there's a clue when I said Matthew 7, 13. (laughs) What does that tell you? We're seven chapters in to Matthew. And do you think there might be a little bit of a clue in these chapters? Absolutely. He is building up towards Matthew 7.13. Matthew 7.13 is it. But there's a whole build up to that verse, to that chapter uh, 7 verse 13. And we're going to go through it. I make no apology for that. (laughs) We're going to read through it. We're going to read and understand what it is when he's talking in context about this narrow gate. So we're going to start actually in Matthew 5. Verse 1. And as we read towards chapter 7, verse 13, we're going to see Jesus building a whole picture of what it's going to take to enter through the narrow gate. He's going to define it for us. Now, you, may, you and I may not want to hear it. You and I may not want to make the necessary changes to enter that narrow gate, but at least we'll have heard what it's going to take. Yeah? And you won't go running off on a theological tangent thinking that you're doing what it's going to take like these people who were shut out of the, of the kingdom shouting, Lord, Lord, we heard all your teachings. We did, you know, we did all this work. We did these great works in your name. And he's saying, I don't even know you. We do not want to be in that category. right? And there's no excuse for us not to be in the category of the few yeah, when we understand what it's going to take. So by the time we finish, and it won't be today, We should all have a fantastic insight into what Jesus was talking about and what he meant by agony. (laughs) Yeah, What he meant by agony and we'll have to endure and what it's going to take to enter through this narrow gate. What a fantastic truth. If we can get that clear in our hearts and minds of what it is as we as individuals need to do in order to enter through that gate. Now before we even start, are we all clear that most of Christendom do not virtually take any notice of what Jesus is saying here? Their theology has defined this agony, this striving, as a one-time action on a verse. But just watch the contrast as to how Jesus describes the qualities of striving against that backdrop. Against the backdrop of a large part of Christendom today, teaching it's easy. Jesus has made it easy. There's no problem. Just hold your hand up in a meeting. Give your life to Jesus. Let Jesus into your heart. All these phrases that are unscriptural. And you'll be okay. You will rule and reign with Christ in his coming kingdom. No, you won't. If you and I don't do what we're going to read today and over the coming weeks as to what it's going to take to enter through that narrow gate, watch my lips. You and I will not make it. Do you know why I know that? Because Jesus is showing us we won't make it. I don't care what anybody else says. And you shouldn't either. So we've got to get serious, don't we? This is serious business. This is not a social event on a Sunday morning to fill in your time on the weekend. It's really serious. Because we're going to read about some of the redeemed who did not take Jesus' words seriously. Yeah, We saw them the last time we were together. Some of them. We're going to see more of them as the weeks go on. Yeah, 
and they ended up shut out of the kingdom. Shouting over the gate, by the way. Yeah? Lord! Lord! What are you doing? Closing the gate on me. And he said, I don't even know you. Yeah? So it's serious. This is serious stuff. This is, these are not rank, quote, outsiders, quote, unbelievers, people who hate God. They were participants in his fellowship. They listened to his teachings. They did many mighty miracles in his name. And they didn't make it. So we better get serious. Let's go to Matthew 5.1. Now before we go to Matthew 5.1, I actually want to go to Matthew 4.23. Go back a little bit even further. Yeah. Because we're going to see and understand what Jesus is teaching as we move into Matthew. So we've got to read the scriptures that way. We've got to take a kind of holistic approach to it in terms of, right, okay, what's happening in this situation? What's Jesus doing? What's he teaching about? Yeah, Matthew 4.23. And he went throughout all Galilee. Yeah, Teaching in their synagogue. So who's he teaching to? He's teaching to the redeemed of Israel. He's teaching to the redeemed. And proclaiming the gospel of his kingdom. So we know exactly what he's doing, don't we? As we move into Matthew 5, we know exactly what he's doing. He's going into all the synagogues. He's going in and there. And what's he doing? He's teaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now that's going to become significant. As we move through chapter 5, as we move through chapter 6, as we move into chapter 7. Won't all be this week. You'd be glad to hear. Yeah. So the subject matter of what Jesus is proclaiming is the gospel of his coming kingdom. Do you see that? It's very clear in scripture. Yeah. So we have to keep that at the forefront of our minds now as we move into chapter 5. Yeah. Chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. Taught them about what? Any guesses? <laughs> we just read it, didn't we? It's the gospel of his kingdom. He was, that's what he was teaching about. Yeah? 423 told us that. Saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to heaven. Yeah? It's the kingdom from heaven, the kingdom from God, which we know is clearly depicted in scripture as being him ruling and reigning in the earth. Pure in spirit, what does that mean? Pure in spirit is humbleness of heart. Meekness of heart. We're going to see that. These are people who are not into self-promotion and exalting themselves. Blessed are those who mourn, for they, it's future tense, will be comforted, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you see that? That's why we know the gospel of the kingdom is an earthly kingdom. Yeah? Right where the kingdom turns up is right here on earth. Now as we read through this section, don't lose what the subject is all about. It's about the inheritance in the kingdom. That's what we're talking about. That's what the whole subject matter is. Now a quick diversion into Matthew 18, because Jesus tells us about this same subject of meekness and humbleness of spirit. Humbleness of heart. Matthew 18, 1 says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child and had him stand before them, or stand among them. 
And he said, I tell you the truth. Do you see the next three words? I put them in red for you. Unless you change. Did you get that? So, let me tell you something. There's not going to be an inheritance into the kingdom, according to Jesus Christ, unless you change. Unless you and I change, there's not going to be an inheritance in the kingdom for you. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. The scriptures clearly tell us, unless we change, and we're going to see what that change is all about, we will not inherit into the kingdom. And become like little children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Guess what? You won't. Why do we know that? Because he never told a lie. He told the truth. So if you are changing the way he's depicting in the scripture here, guess what? You ain't going to make it. I am not going to make it. Boy, this is exciting stuff, guys. Because you know something? We can't change. We're all breathing. You are breathing, aren't you? Yeah, we're breathing, we can change today. And it has to be today. Because we don't know when he's coming back. So, and become a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself, do you see that humbleness, that meekness of heart, like this child, look at that, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be the greatest? Guess what you're going to have to do. Guess what you and I are going to have to do? In order to be the greatest in this coming earthly kingdom of heaven, you and I are going to have to become meek. We're going to have to become humble, just like Jesus depicted in front of the disciples with that child. Yeah? Could you remember Tony's teaching? The gospel demands a changed life, guys. There it is, right there in that verse. Yeah? There it is. You don't need to take my word for it. You don't need to take Tony's word for it. It's right there in Scripture. Coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Yeah? Fantastic. Matthew 6, 5. Back to that. Sorry, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for their future tense shall be satisfied. When? What's the whole subject? What's the whole context? In the coming kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, future tense, receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, future tense, see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall, future tense, be called sons of God. When? 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 The whole context is talking about the kingdom. It's coming up in the next verse. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fantastic. Jesus is showing us the subject. It's the inheritance into the coming kingdom. That's what the striving. That's what we're going to see. We're heading towards, don't forget the backdrop, right? We're heading towards chapter 7, verse 13, because we're trying to figure out what it's going to take for you and I to get through that narrow gate. He's building the whole picture of this right up into chapter 7 and beyond. Yeah, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you. Now, listen up. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You're blessed when that happens. <laughs> Doesn't feel like it. Absolutely not. Yeah? But look at the next few words. Rejoice and be glad. 
When that happens, don't moan about it. Get away from it and rejoice and be glad that you have been deemed worthy to be persecuted for him. It's fantastic. Boys, we do the opposite most of the time. I know I do. I go into a darkened room. and Tears in my eyes. Thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have any friends. I'm Billy No Mates. Nobody's listening. Nobody wants to know. But you look at the response he said. When you're persecuted, when others revile you, and utter all kinds of evil against you, on my account rejoice and be glad. Why? Why should you and I rejoice and be glad in it? It's coming up. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. <laughs> God's got a bank there. He's cashing in all your, all your uh, what it talks about there, all your uh, persecution, all your, the people reviling you, and you rejoicing and being glad in it. Because we can be glad in it only because we know that there's going to be an inheritance in the kingdom for those who endure it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set in a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there's good works involved, isn't there? He's trying to build a picture of what he's talking about, moving into chapter 7, verse 13, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That is not a good thing to do. Yeah, according to Jesus Christ. But whoever, listen to this now, whoever what? Does them. Whoever does them and teaches them. Did you catch that? You've got to do it. You've got to be a doer of the word. You've got to be a doer of the commandments. You've also got to teach others. Yeah. Will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? He's teaching us what it's going to take for you and I to be great in the kingdom of heaven. What does that tell you? It tells you there's a pecking order. Yeah? It tells you that you can be least or you can be great. And it's down to what you teach and what you do in this life as to where you end up in the kingdom. Yeah? That's what the author and finisher of our faith might not be what your theology teaches, but it's what he's teaching. And guess what? We need to go by what he's teaching. Not by the historical theology of the world that teaches something else. We've got to go by what the scriptures say. Verse 20, for I tell you. I what? I tell you. I tell you. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. 
what you need to do. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, listen, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we should be immediately asking, what was their righteousness all about? Oh, you need to hold on for next week. <laughs> but you catch what Jesus is saying here. This is the author and finisher of our faith, spelling out to all of us what it's going to take to enter and reign in his kingdom. And it's his kingdom. He is the one who determines the criteria for entry. Not your theology. Not my theology. Not what I already believe. Or what anybody else already believes. What their church doctrine says. What they're hanging their hat on. Is not the criteria. He is. He is. In the scripture. Spelling out for us the criteria by which we can rule and reign with him in the kingdom. Yeah. But do you know many relegate this to the history books? Yeah. They, they so promote their dispensational theology on top of this that the words of Jesus Christ now are secondary yeah. if he makes it to number two. And they magnify their theology above anything he ever said because it contradicts what they want to believe. It contradicts the easy and the wide gate that they're painting for people. You understand? This is not something people are grabbing onto. Have you noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because it's agony. It's hard. Yeah? But it's what the Lord Jesus Christ spelt out for us. We've got to get back to it. Big time. Verse 21. Have you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with them to court. Let your accuser hand, over, over to, hand you over to the judge and the judge to, to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Have you heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand, if you sorry, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now he's not talking literally here. You know, we're not to go about with one eye, yeah. But he's saying you've got to change. If, if that's affecting you, you've got to bring on that change in your life. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it, uh, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or for it is the throne of God, or by the earth for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. And do not 
Take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, and let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Have you heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How much time do we spend praying for those who persecute us? Look at this, verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah? And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And I put the tense of that may right in there. Because it's undefined as to the progress of the completion of the action. We may be the sons of the Father, you see. It's in the middle tense. It represents the subject as, ask, as acting with reference to himself and the subjunctive. It expresses the idea of probable completion of the action of the verb with the possibility of the action of the verb failing to be completed. Why? Because if we don't endure, yeah, we will not be called the sons of God. Because yeah? that's a future event in the coming kingdom. It's fantastic. And look at verse 46 as we finish off this morning. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? <laughs> yeah, that's easy. But we read about those persecuting, talking against us. Yeah, we're to what? Rejoice and be glad in that. We're to pray for them. But to pray for me to pray for you, for, for the people who love me, and for you to pray for the people who love you, easy, mm-hmm. easy. <laughs> yeah. Remember, it's hard. <laughs> Remember the criteria he said. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Why is it going to be hard? Because look at the stuff he's asking us to do. Love those who hate you. Do you find that easy? Absolutely not. Yeah, We find it hard. But it's what we're to do. If we're to strive through this narrow gate, this is some of the stuff that the criteria by which he is going to be judging as to what we did. The changes that we brought about in our lives to live the criteria with which he set it up in scripture and it's hard but we've got to do it if we're going to strive through that narrow gate do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet only your brothers what more are you doing than others do not even the gentiles do the same you see the scribes and the pharisees would only ever greet each other in the streets they would never greet anybody else because nobody else was as holy as they were Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we've got to get there. We've got to start to build this picture. Yeah, and we're way into it now. Yeah, we're starting to see what it's going to take. We're starting to see what striving's all about. We're starting to see why he said it's going to be hard. Because I'm asking you to love those who hate you. Don't worry about those who love you. Pray for those who hate you. Rejoice and be glad because you get persecuted for my name. Yeah. So he's starting to build a fantastic picture for us. Now we're out of time today, but I want us next week to pick it up from here and continue to keep Matthew 7.13 clearly in focus for all of us. Yeah? 
Because what we're doing is we're building here the whole context of what Jesus Christ is talking about when he's saying, yeah, there's an arrow, there's an arrow gate. There's going to be few people walking through this gate. And the reason is, it's not easy. It's really hard to do what I asked you to do. To bring about the changes in service to others and in love to others that I'm asking of you is really going to be difficult. And there's going to be few that are willing to do it. But do you notice, in contrast to that, he says, the wide will have many on it. Why? Because they're not doing this stuff. They're refusing to love those who hate them. They're not rejoicing when they get persecuted. All that stuff. They're doing the opposite. And you and I cannot be in that category. We have got to so drive ourselves into the scripture, so drive ourselves into this demanded change of Jesus Christ, that you and I will be on the few, the path of the few, walking in through that narrow gate. But it ain't going to be easy, guys. It's never going to be easy to do that. And the minute it becomes easy for us, we should really be asking some serious questions in our lives as to what we're doing. So next week we'll pick it up here, as I say, and get through into the next session. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your word. Thank you, Father, for the greatness of your scriptures and the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we can take them as truth. And Father, that we can go through that process of change in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.